It's the 19th of November 2023 um, and in two days time it will be my two-year anniversary and that is of course uh, my anniversary of discovering that I am an autistic type of human. Um, I definitely wanted to mark the two years and I really enjoy making episodes um, and as I was reflecting at bedtime the other day about my two years and everything I've learned, how different my life is now, um, I started to get sort of um, specific types of autistic experience coming into my mind. I guess I was reflecting on really just what it was like um, at all the different points in my life, being an autistic person who had all of the autistic experiences, had to make sense of all of that without the knowledge of why. And as I said in an earlier episode, I had no knowledge of autism, what autism was. I only ever saw it referenced because I worked in health policy I only ever saw it referenced um, in relation to autism and learning disability in the context of um, um, people being detained and experiencing seclusion and restraint in the mental health system. So it would have been a huge leap because I didn't encounter anything else about autism for me to understand that actually my experiences all sat very firmly within the autistic spectrum. I was very much in the dark about autism for 40 years and it was only because of children in my family getting diagnosed with autism and me thinking, okay, well, it's clearly nothing at all like I thought autism was and then the more I learned about why the children in my family had been diagnosed with autism I was kind of thinking well I really relate I understand those experiences um, and then of course I had my autiphony thanks to my friend Tracy for that lovely word two years ago um, so I thought it would be quite interesting to talk about some of the things that I have experienced that I'm now pretty confident are autistic experiences as opposed to trauma experiences. Um, a, lot of, a lot of autistic people, regardless of what age we have been diagnosed or what age we've figured it out for ourselves, um, also have complex trauma or complex PTSD. And it's not super obvious what of our experiences over time is because of being autistic and what aspects are because of our trauma. And then if you throw ADHD into the mix, which so many of us also um, have ADHD, I'm not diagnosed with ADHD, but the more I've learned about it, the more blindingly obvious it is that my um, inattentive issues are, are are part of the ADHD experience. Um, 
but it can be quite difficult to distinguish what's what. And two years later, and gosh, it's been an intense two years. And the first year, I have to say, was very hard, very, very intense and rough. Having to learn all of this completely on my own, other than the online um, autism community, was was very overwhelming. So I'm going to share a few things that I believe are specific to being autistic. And it's not exhaustive. There's be plenty of stuff here that I I ha- that I haven't remembered to talk about um, because that would be far too long an episode anyway. Um, so the first one I'm going to start with is a really nice one, and it's around um, what I've now come to understand is sensory joy. So for many many years. I used to think back to a small number of very specific experiences that I had had, maybe as a child, when you actually got to um, play in a way that would have been sensory um, pleasure, because it's more normal, isn't it, for children to get to do sensory things. And I remember reflecting sort of through my teens and 20s and and thinking about some of those experiences, especially things like in my primary school, when I was really little, five, six, seven, we would have sometimes, you know, it felt like maybe a whole afternoon, we would have like plasticine play. And we had this massive... um, sort of table thing that lots of us could fit around it was quite a low table and they'd get out all of these tubs of plasticine and I honestly I I think they were all just that really muddy color that happens when plasticine of different colors has been played with for so long that it all just blends together so it was really ugly there was no there was no color joy from this but I just remember being so like blissfully happy playing with this plasticine, feeling it in my hands, rolling it out, making maybe spirally shapes, making a ball of it, squishing it, making a slab of it, make you know, and it being really smooth. Um, and just kind of yearning for that kind of feeling again, when I got older, and playing with plasticine all afternoon wasn't a thing anymore. I was always quite taken by the memory of literally the bliss like I was almost I almost you know remembered feeling like intoxicated with with the bliss of playing with this plasticine and I had um there was another very specific memory that I had as well uh that I spoke about actually when I was featured on um the late discovered podcast with the lovely Catherine Astor uh which was a memory of a day when I was about six at the same primary school where we had this special day, one sunny day, where it was like a community day where we were being taught by some specialists how to build a, a wattle and daub house, like an Iron Age house on our school property. And they the, they had brought to basically to mix the, the clay mixture, uh, which I think is the daub, I can't quite remember, um, which you you know you pat onto a, a a wooden construct and make walls out of it. They had an old bathtub, 
uh, that was um, just on the ground outdoors and they were filling it with this stuff and they were keeping it wet and, and, you know, pushing water in it to keep it ready to use. And at one point they must have said something like, oh, that'd be fun for the kids to play in. I mean, this was the 80s where, I mean, people just did whatever they wanted. Um, And I remember being in this bathtub playing in this kind of um, this silky, silky wet mud on a hot day in my underwear. And again, feeling like intoxicated with bliss. And that's a feeling that I still get on a hot day getting into cool water, getting into, you know, the still sea or into a pool hot day sunshine cool cold water is a level of bliss that i cannot get enough of um now i think that level of sensory joy is the upside of the sensory intensity that we feel as autistic people which of course often causes us an awful lot of um difficulty and challenge in the world our sensory issues are often very unpleasant and intense in a unmanageable stressful way but I think also some of us are lucky enough to have those intensely joyful blissful sensory experiences as well which I wouldn't give up for anything I think it's a wonderful thing to experience okay um on to some different ones now Something again that I think is specific to my autistic mind, but I know absolutely is not the case for for other autistic people. But I I can't really attribute it to anything else. Um, And I have heard that this is an issue for some autistic people. And that is, I really have never been able to understand completely abstract concepts if I can't visualize the tangible representation of a concept or an idea then I I cannot latch my brain onto it there's nothing for me to hook onto And I think this is one of the issues around my spiky um, ability profile, because in academic subjects where there is some kind of tangible, practical, visual, experiential representation, like anything really that I was learning in history, geography, biology, English literature, languages, um, or at least the application of languages, you'd be talking about things that were in some way tangibly measurable or observable or experienced. So the, the subjects that I couldn't even begin. I mean, I literally just fell at the, the at 
lesson one, <laughs> fell at the first hurdle with chemistry and physics. I actually have never been able to process any anything that I have been taught or try to learn in the realm of physics or chemistry. And I even ask my husband sometimes to talk to me about some of the really basic concepts um, because he is a physics graduate. And I really, I quite enjoy having that opportunity for a one-to-one conversation. I need to ask hundreds and hundreds of questions when he's trying to tell me really basic information you know literally page one of like a year seven textbook kind of simple um but um I just I just can't grasp onto it and um so yeah I had to have like a special meeting at my school about why I wasn't going to do double maths because in my school it was standard to do sorry not double maths double um science because it was standard to do double science especially if you were in the sort of, you know, on trajectory to get higher grades in other subjects. And I just, I, you know, my mum came in and we had a meeting with my form tutor and I just basically said, well, there's no point, is there? There's no point me doing double of something that I can't um, engage with the, with the simplest aspect of. And they said, well, that is a fair point. So I did single science award um, and uh, and business studies, which weirdly enough, I actually find business studies um, also a little bit abstract because I think a lot of it is to do with um, kind of legal constructs and money. And I find I find that type of thing too abstract also um to be able to grasp one too so yeah I'd be really interested to know if anyone else has issues like that um as an autistic person I obviously take things very literally and I also think that added on to that and to further confuse my literal take on everything I experience is my difficulty, especially when I was younger, especially when I was less experienced professionally, my difficulty in kind of applying context to anything. So I would, anything that was said to me, I would take it as said to me at face value. Regardless of whether that was someone very senior to me, um, or in a high stakes scenario. And, and I would also remember, you know, word for word, the things that people had said and check in with myself and be like, yeah, they did definitely say blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, yep, 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 they did. And so, you know, every time then I thought back to that person speaking to me, I would remember what they said and continue to take it literally. Even if context changed and then, it's, and it's difficult to talk about specifics, which I don't really want to, because this is my professional life that I'm talking about. But there have been lots of times where someone has said something to me. I've taken it at face value when I probably wasn't meant to take it at face value. And then 
three to six months later, they'd kind of say to me, well, but even if I, even if I did mean that literally, things have changed so much, surely you've been able to put two and two together and figure out that that, what I said doesn't stand anymore. Um, But of course I didn't. I didn't used to do that. And it's only because of getting that kind of feedback and kind of getting into trouble, I guess, for things that I'm more co- I'm more mindful now. If something seems like it's really important and I'm thinking, oh, that was three months ago we had that conversation, I should probably do some kind of check-in about how much of things changed and does that change anything for that conversation. But it's something I have to do consciously. Um but the, yeah, the literal thing, there were lots of times when when I didn't clock that I was being given an instruction because what the person said to me was not given in the form of an instruction. And one example that I always remember that I still am still really cross about was quite a few years ago, um, but, you know, very much still as a grown up. So in my 30s, not working at the place that I'm currently working. I had a situation where there were slightly too many bosses, very senior people, and they had their own dynamics. So there was a bit of competition going on between them. And they, in hindsight, I'm realising they would really, really need their own dedicated staff to really show them in a good light at all times. Um, And they would get angry if they didn't. So there was this one very particular memory I have which confused the hell out of me at the time. And it's taken me actually into understanding that I'm autistic and understanding that I take things literally to realise what was going on then. But I I had a job where I used to have to kind of be the person to set up an event um, in the morning, which, again, in hindsight, I mean, could not have been a worse fit for me. Anything event related is completely beyond my capability. Anyway, I used to get very anxious about this type of thing. And I used to, I was very much a one man band in this team. And I would be carrying, you know, those pull up branded stands that you had to event that you have to have at events and loads of boxes of pamphlets and all kinds of stuff on my own, you know, carrying from my office to an event venue Um, which I used to find very stressful in itself. But I remember the day before this event, my not really boss saying to me, I'll be there at nine. And I think the event was starting at 10. And I was like, okay, great. I'll see see you there. And so I was thinking, well, I've got all of this additional stuff I have to do that I'm responsible for. And I've got to go to the office and pick up all of this stuff and carry it with my fair hands (laughs) to this place. Um, and you know I know how long it'll take me to get a set up and then we'll be ready to go at 10 so I got there at like 9 20 9 25 and the guy was clearly in a bad mood but I had no concept that it was anything to do with me and he didn't acknowledge me when I got there um And so I just carried on because if someone doesn't want to talk to me, I don't pressure them to talk to me. No problem. And then my actual boss, who was a woman, um, arrived and then they were having a little whispery chat. And then 
I was doing my thing and then she came over to me and she got right up close to my face and she sort of hissed into my face. Um, if blah blah person says to be here at nine o'clock, you be here at nine o'clock. Right? And to this day, I'm still absolutely horrified by that experience. And I looked at her really blankly because, of course, in my mind, I was thinking, um, no one said to be here at nine o'clock. No one told me I had to be here at nine o'clock. But I didn't want to say that to her because for some reason I was trying to kind of save face for these two people who I thought were were basically idiots. I thought I thought they were stupid. I thought it was too embarrassing for them for me to say, um, actually, um, that wasn't the conversation. That person said they were going to be here at nine o'clock. I never said I was going to be here at nine o'clock and no one instructed me to be here at nine o'clock. And moreover, I'm an adult grown-up person who doesn't need to be told what exact time to arrive at a venue when I'm the person setting up the venue and I know what I'm doing. It was all of that went through my mind in that split second that she went right. And then I, because I wasn't saying anything to her. And then she said, right. <laughs> I kind of nodded. I wasn't laughing. I was very, very angry. Um, and I just stared her in the eye, which she probably found. I mean, she was apoplectic. She was purple. <laughs> And I just, she was right up to my face and I stared her in the eye and I went, right, right. Because I was thinking, well, sure, in the future, if someone says be at a venue at nine o'clock, then I will, but no one did. So now I look back on that exchange and although I'm still really angry about it, I find it hilarious. Honestly, I find it absolutely hilarious um because i still think that those people um were idiots um but i understand now that we were speaking completely different languages they thought i assume that because of context because of that seniority because of the what was at stake that saying the words i will be there at nine o'clock was the same as an instruction which obviously it is not. Okay. Um, and actually, so another thing I've got on my list here is, is very much related to this. For a really, really long time, and still sometimes now, I often had no idea what someone else was talking about. No idea. Um, I couldn't understand why they were saying things to me. I couldn't understand why they were telling me about things that didn't relate to what we were doing in that moment. I also couldn't understand why people reacted to things the way they did. If someone laughed, I'd be thinking, why on earth are they laughing? If someone was angry, I'd be thinking oh my God, what did I miss? Why is someone angry? Um, And 
Actually, it used to mean that I didn't understand what was going on in films quite a lot or or in TV dramas. I just I just didn't understand what was going on a lot. Um I understand a lot more now. I think just because I've learned so many scenarios, so many scripts, so many social norms. Um and I I think of this as schemas. Uh, there's a word S C H E M A. I talked about it on Instagram recently. The schema is a framework, an outline for how something works. And there are loads of social um, scenarios or scenarios of like going into a restaurant or a GP surgery or a dentist or to the vet or into a shop or whatever it is. There's sort of a loose schema. For what's going on and I've learned so many of those now that I'm much more equipped to understand what's going on around me but for a long time I really really didn't including when people were laughing at me I I didn't understand why and I think that's a really common autistic experience and why everything feels so unsafe so many experiences feel so unsafe because of not understanding what's happening and being confused and being scared. And actually, that takes me on to another couple of things on my list. As a child, as a teenager and in my 20s, I felt homesick all the time. And it was a really specific feeling, and I get it now when I'm actually away from home and away from familiarity. But but as a young person, I felt homesick absolutely all the time. And I've only just, in making my notes for this episode, I've only just really put two and two together that the homesickness feeling is actually a deep feeling in the stomach of feeling unsafe, because I felt unsafe all the time and I've written on my notes here um everything made me feel anxious and unsafe everything except being alone watching comfort television and that was the case in my teens and my 20s um but as I said you know because I it, by my 30s or during my 30s I learned so much about schemas and um kind of social social norm so I could at least recognize what was happening around me even if I wasn't really sure how to participate I wasn't confused all the time so I stopped feeling homesick all the time but that is what that is I mean that's why when we feel uneasy about being away from home um you know and why homesickness is is a thing is because you 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 want to be in your safe place, whether you're autistic or not. Um, maybe some people don't feel home, homesickness at all, which is amazing. I wish I wish I didn't. I think. Um, and then related to that, then I've also put crying. I think. I think as a child, obviously you get socialised out of crying, and you you end up you know, dissociating or masking or becoming emotionally numb. But certainly as a young person, as a child, as a teen, I used to cry so frequently. 
I would cry if I was asked a question. I would cry if I was asked to make a decision. I was I would cry if there was a requirement for me to you know participate in something that I didn't understand. I would I would cry if there was a change of plan because I was overwhelmed all the time. All the time. Any time that I was awake, if I wasn't dissociating in some way, I was overwhelmed. The crying, unfortunately, um, created a perception of me, which I also know is common in autistic people, that I was dramatic. I was disproportionately sensitive. Um, which of course I was. I mean, that is literally the autism is being disproportionately sensitive to a lot of things. Um, although actually, that's just how it looks because our sensitivity and our anxiety is exactly proportionate to the stress that we're experiencing. Um, but no one, no one could see inside my mind, and no one could see how stressed I was as a child. So I was I wasn't taken seriously. I was never taken seriously by by any of the adults um in my life and I think this is a common experience for us. Um Yeah, I would often have comments about oh she's crying again, all oh, the tears again. And I don't think anyone thought I was faking it. They just thought I think they just thought that I needed to grow up even as a kid. Um, Yeah. Okay, I'm going to end on... I'm going to end on two that are a little bit less sad, Um, a bit more neutral. One of the things that I think is linked to being autistic is... I've always really had a hard time with time being unaccounted for. So when I was at school, as soon as I finished a task for the lesson, I wanted to know what's the next task? What what should I do with my time? What What should I be doing? And I've never really lost that. I'm still uneasy with having periods of time where there isn't a thing that I need to be doing, a task that I need to be doing. But of course, because of um, exhaustion, burnout, overwhelm, I do actually have lots of periods where I'm not doing anything, where I'm very much staring into space, inert, um, which I which I didn't like for a long time. I, I found it made me very panicky. It made me very, very panicky. Even if I didn't have anything specific to do, it made me very panicky that I was wasting, losing time. That's how I thought of it. I, I always had this issue with I'm never going to get these, these hours back, this day back, and I haven't done anything with it. I haven't, I haven't produced something. I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't made use of that time. And I also really struggle that time past is no longer and that time that hasn't happened yet 
hasn't happened yet. Like sometimes when I'm looking at my calendar and I sort of look at, you know, a date in December, I'm kind of really freaked out by the fact that that time will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Or if I wake up in the morning and I think, oh God, this is a new day. This day hasn't happened before. And I think there might be something to do with that and the the comfort and the um the appeal of having a structured day or a structured routine <clears throat> and one of the reasons that I've always found weekends evenings and and holiday time quite difficult I feel uneasy if there isn't a plan if there isn't some structure I think that is a very classically autistic experience it feels uncomfortable um and unsettling to be untethered and to be kind of drifting I just feel like I'm drifting around in time and space and it's unsettling and I want to be anchored by something and be and be anchored into a plan anchored into a into a structure and actually I've started doing a yoga class on a Sunday morning which I'm finding really helpful having a a thing that anchors my morning especially something that involves movement and walking outside to get to it, it really puts me in a much better place then for the rest of the day because I've I've anchored to something and I don't lose as much time. Um, okay, the last thing, the last thing is, and I'm always a bit nervous to talk about this because it can sound a little bit like I'm trying to make out like being autistic is special or more sophisticated or or more clever but i do think it is a tip more t- more typical autistic experience to not really put much stock into kind of social constructs or or social norms um so i know i know there's a very high proportion of LGBTQI plus people in the autistic community. Now, obviously, I believe that we're born, whatever orientation we're born, um, I am bisexual, pansexual, probably more accurate. Um, I've always been very comfortable with that because it just see it just basically seems completely ridiculous that we would expect anyone to be something other than they are. Um, and and that we would expect all people to be the same. The fact is, if somebody or a group of people says, oh, I'm not that way, I'm this way, then that there's no questioning that. That's, that's just a fact. Um, so, you know, I didn't... I didn't know... Any, I didn't really know anyone else who was like me when I was a lot younger that I knew of. It was taboo to talk about it. I definitely would have been bullied for it. Um, but I was comfortable with it. I was comfortable with it. Um, it was completely normal for me. And then, and then as I got older and I got into my relationship with my now husband, um, you know, quite early on in the relationship, 
I remember talking about, and I still stand by this, this is still who I am. It's how I identify whether I act on it or not. Um, and it has been part of our life at different different parts of times in our relationship and it and it continues to be and it will be in the future. But I I just I just don't really believe in monogamy. I just if it if if someone feels like a monogamous person and they want to be in monogamous relationships, again, I wouldn't question that for one second. Fine, fine. You literally you do you. I personally just don't identify like that. I just don't um and it's not that I'm questioning the construct for the rest of society. I don't really I don't really care what the rest of society does. I only care that it's important that that individuals aren't pressured into a life that doesn't work for them. So if you know that you are just not a monogamous person, you want to be in different types of relationships, you want to be close to people, you want to be open and honest because non-monogamous people um for the most part, have no interest in in deceit or lying to somebody, um, then then that's who you are. And it would be naive um, to try to convince that person to be different. It's not who they are. So I just, I suspect from everything that I've read and talked about with other autistic people, I think we I think we're basically more accepting maybe more accepting of other people's experience. If someone says to me every I see the world all in different shades of blue, I'd be like, I believe you. Okay. That's interesting. I wonder how that works. Is there anything you need? You know, I I wouldn't question it for for a second. And I think that's I think that's fairly typical of autistic people. I just don't think we think other, another person's experience is any of our business other than being interested if that person wants to tell us about it. So I think for that reason, I, I just don't think that we're interested in in making a whole population of people live by a certain set of rules that we also know are arbitrary rules that were sort of, you know, created really to keep society in some kind of order. It just all seems completely pointless. Um, so yeah, so that's my last thing on my list. Um, and so on reflection, you know, none of these things in isolation makes a person autistic. I'm looking at these things through the lens of knowing now that I'm autistic and thinking, oh, these were all indicators. They were all signs. They were all part, they were all part of me being an autistic person in a non-autistic world and not really understanding why my experience was so different from what what appeared to be expected of me based on all of the feedback that I had from all of the many many people over my life it was very obvious it was very obvious that my my presentation my expression my processing of the world my experiences were were not what other ex- other people expected them to be um and it's because of them it's because of that that i came to the conclusion 
that something is different about me. How else would I have known other than people saying to me, you're to this, you're not enough this. Um, What other conclusion can I come to? So it is a wonderful thing to be 42 years old and fully accepting all of the things I've described as my normal. All of these things are normal. They are normal for an autistic person. I am a normal autistic person. And that is a wonderful way to feel at this point in my life. And I wish it for everybody. I would like everyone to be in a place where they have enough acceptance of themselves and acceptance by the people in their lives um, that they can know that there's nothing wrong with who you are. All right. Till next time. Bye-bye.